Welcome to Northwest Community Church. I want you to really quick grab your copy of God's Word, whether it's on your phone or your tablet, or whether you have a good old-fashioned Bible in your hands. So we have got a lot to cover. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2, 14 to 41. You're like, Matt, that's a lot of verses. That is exactly why we're going to jump right into the text. So Dr. Rummage is a pastor in Tampa, Florida, and he was my sermon professor. So I want you to find his email address and tell him that I did a good job of, get, of using my first five minutes to get straight to the text. Okay, so in sermon class, in prep class, you said, you got five minutes to get to the word of God. <laughs> so I want you to tell him that it took me 30 seconds and I want you to all email him and tell him that. Okay, he's in Tampa, Florida somewhere. All right, so here we are. We're in Acts chapter two. And we're going um, 14 to 41. Now, here's what I'm going to do here, since there's a lot of verses, and what I'm going to do is cover a couple of sections. I want to go ahead and read it all the way at one time. So it's going to take us a couple of minutes here. We're just going to go. We're going to start with 14. We're going to go all the way to 41 so that you can have the context of where we are and what we're doing. We know that Pentecost has taken place. The power of the Holy Spirit has come down. Some people are a little confused. Some people are shocked because they're getting the word of God in their own language. And then Peter steps up to the plate and he's got a lot to say. So let's go ahead and read this account of the first sermon. 14, it says this. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Verse 17, and in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass, this is 21, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. 22, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death because, oh, this is good, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life You will make me full of gladness in your presence. 29, brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. 
being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Verse 34, for David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? 38 says this, and Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Verse 40. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And we all said, man, that's good stuff. One of the greatest messages, one of the greatest sermons of all time. And so I have the privilege of preaching Peter's sermon this morning. And so we get to take a look at this. And what I've done here is I've broken down Peter's sermon in four words that hopefully you will remember, hopefully you will be challenged, and hopefully it will take, you will take action upon the words that we discover and talk about. Any time in the Bible, Luke's history of the account, the activity of God's spirit always followed the proclamation of the gospel. Anytime the spirit was present and available and on, just like this time, then the the apostles, the disciples, the followers went to preaching the word. This is no different than than what's going on right now. The spirit-filled Palestinian Jews are gathered together. They're sitting here. They're wondering what in the world is happening. God's spirit comes down. People are preaching in their own known language. They're a little bit confused. And then there is this man, unlikely maybe to many, His name is Peter, and he steps up to the plate, and he preaches one great message of many messages. And I think that the first word, the first word that we're going to see is the word grace. The first word that we have that summarizes this message and really helps us uncover what this message is all about is grace. In order to make sure we're all on the same page, I want to make sure you understand that the definition of grace is getting something we do not Deserve, thank you. It's getting something we do not deserve. It is a gift of the God and the Lord Jesus Christ. It is from him. It is because of him. It is not in and of ourselves. We are sinners saved by grace. And the first word that we see in this message, one of the characteristics is the word grace. And we see it in the first two words of the message, but Peter. You see, many of you and I, we have been praying fervently over the last 10 years for but God moments, where God steps in and steps up and does some unbelievable thing. We use this in many of the texts where it says in Ephesians chapter two that we're dead in trespasses and sins, that we are following the prince of the power of the air, and it says you are dead, you are a sinner. And then in verse four it says, but God. And you and I recognize that that grace is given from the God of creation. But here's what I want you to see this morning. There is Peter who's standing up, and it's a but Peter moment. And those are just as important for you and I as it is for those but God moments. Because what it says to us is that even though we've messed up, there's another chance. 
And in order for us to really unpack Peter's messages as we go forward in the book of Acts, I think we need to just pause here for a moment and take a look at Peter's resume. (laughs) And maybe it'll give you great encouragement because it sure gives me a lot of encouragement. Because the first two words, first two words, is all about grace, but Peter. So let's, let's sort of take a look at what's going on with Peter in John chapter 20. And if you look at this, you can compile all of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You can take a look at Peter's life. You can take a look at what's going on. And so if we take some from each of them to create the whole story, just work with me here. So, so Jesus is telling his disciples at the end of his life, he said, okay, I need to tell you something. I'm gonna be arrested and I'm gonna be given over to the Pharisees and they're gonna crucify me. And Peter rebukes the Messiah. <clears throat> Excuse me? Peter rebukes the Messiah. And, and then Jesus says, no, I'm going to give my life. And then Peter says, no, you're not. And, then Pete, and Jesus says, no, I am. And then Peter says, no. And then Peter says, no. Jesus says, Peter, I am. And then in this moment, they head up to where he's going to be betrayed. And he says, hey, I want you to know something, that somebody is going to betray me and you're going to flee. And Peter says, not me. And Jesus says, no, especially you you're gonna deny me before the rooster crows three times. That was the alarm clock of the day. And Jesus looks at him and says, no, you're, you're gonna deny me, you're gonna do that three times. And, and so I wanna make sure you understand something here. This is not, not a 20-year drift away from the Messiah. This is a couple of hours away. Jesus looked at Peter and said, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And he says, you are right, Simon Barjona. And upon this rock, confession, not person, I will build my church. I'm going to build my church that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And then shortly after that, Peter denies. I'm not talking about a slow drift. I don't know about you. But sometimes there's been a slow drift away from what we know about is true about God. And sometimes it's really fast because of what's going on in life. Situations we come into contact with. Things we don't understand. Peter, that's what's going on here is what it seems like. So Jesus is arrested and Peter is like, oh, I said this wasn't going to happen and it's happening. So what did he do? I just took out my sword and I'm going to cut off your ear. So Peter cuts off his ear. Jesus picks the ear back up, puts it back on. And then we move over into what's called the courtyard. We need to understand something, that Peter is in a courtyard with Jesus, and this is not like he's 250 yards away from him, or he's like a mile. I mean, it's not, it's not like they're far apart. They're in a courtyard area. And this lady comes up to him and says, aren't you one of his disciples? And he says, nope, not me. I'm not with him. She comes up to him a second time and says, not really. I really thought that you were with him. And he says, not me. Third time, she said, hey, listen, I don't mean to bother you. You're in the courtyard. Maybe you're trying to get something to drink over here. I don't mean to bother you, but I really, really thought that you were with him. And he gets agitated. I'm not with him. And then all of a sudden, the eyes catch with Jesus in the courtyard. And it says that Peter wept bitterly, bitterly, because of the chance that he had, and he fumbled it. So what does it say about Peter? Well, after Jesus was crucified, he was buried, he appeared to the disciples, Peter being one of them. Jesus looked at Peter and he says, do you love me? Yep, feed my sheep. Do you love me? Tend to my sheep. It's third time, do you love me? He said, feed my sheep. And a little bit later, it says, right before the chapter, of, chapter 21 of John, it says this. He looks at Peter and he says, now follow me. Aren't you grateful for the grace of God that gives us a second chance? 
Let's not let the second chance be a wasted chance. Let's not let the grace that God gives us be something that he wastes on us. God in his sovereignty is saying, hey, listen, I don't want you to live in such a way where this chance is like that chance. I want you to live in such a way that this time is better than last time. And the grace of God, through the spirit of God, allows us to do that. And I'm grateful for the but Peter moments of life. and hope you are. What does this message characterize? It's characterized by grace. We see that in Peter. Let me just ask you if you, ever, if you ever follow church tradition. Church tradition says this. Peter followed him. At the end of his life, Peter was told that he was going to be crucified. And he says, I am not worthy to be crucified like my Lord and my Savior, like the Messiah. And it says that he was crucified upside down. And so what we see here is we see a guy who drifted away from the Lord. We see a sermon that begins with the man who drifted away, who denied Jesus, who fumbled along in his commitment to him. And we see him stepping up to the plate. There's a hundred, less than 120 people in the New Testament church. We've got a message to proclaim. And here he is standing up, giving one of the greatest, greatest sermons of all time. And he's going to give many throughout the rest of the Bible. He tells him. Not only do we see the message, the, 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 the grace that's in the, message, the, the messenger, we see the grace that's in the message. Take a look at um, verse 21. Take a look at verse 21. This is beautiful. It's a quote from Joel. Actually, Romans 10, Romans 10, 13, I believe, says the same thing. And so we look at verse 21, and it says, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so here it is. Remember, why were the disciples so encouraged at this time? Because they saw that the Messiah was the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. And so he opens up his sermon and he uses this guy named Joel, this prophet Joel. And Joel says that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Peter, let me just tell you something. He's pretty pumped up. He's saying it all connects. Every bit of this connects. And I want you to know something that yes, I've made a mistake and yes, I've blown it. But I want you to know this chance is going to be different than the last chance. And I am going to stand up and tell you that the grace of God is available to you. That the grace of God is available to all who call upon the name of the Lord. I blew it several years ago when I was the evangelism pastor at Apex Baptist Church. That's funny. I'm the evangelism pastor at Apex Baptist Church. We were a precinct for voting. And so you could come in uh, and vote on the Tuesday during an election. Now this election happened to be Al Gore versus George Bush, number two. And so I believe this was 2000. And so I was in charge of our gymnasium and that's where we had the voting booths that were to be set up. And so there was this opportunity where I was at the office. They would contact me. I would go down to the, uh, to the gymnasium. I would open up, put them in a closet. They had to be locked and secured. And so these guys came up and they had all these booths and they had them all uh, ready. And so we, we went down to the elevator and they're like, wow, this church is awesome. It's big. It's got an elevator in it. I've never been in a church like this before. And I was like, yeah, praise God. Yeah, thanks Thanks for talking about our church. It's a great place. We just opened this, blah, 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 blah. I didn't say anything about Jesus. I'm on the elevator with them. I went down to the closet, put these things, the, the voting booths in this locked closet. We went back up and I said, see you guys later. And they left. That was a missed opportunity in my life. I had a chance to share with these guys. Come into my church. I had a chance to share with them and I didn't do it. And here's what Peter is saying. Here's what the but Peter moments are saying to you and saying to me. Listen, you get another chance. 
Why? Because of the grace of the God of this universe who we serve. Amen? I mean, we get another chance. And so we have another chance, and we see that the grace of God is represented by the speaker, and we see that the grace of God is represented by the message. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We are not a hotel for saints. We are a hospital for sinners who are in desperate need of a savior. That's why we exist here. Come on in, we're all sick and we need him. And it says, call in his name and you will be saved. And the next word that I want you to see, the next word that we have is the word confrontation. Confrontation. If you know me very well, I'm not really, I don't like this. Okay, maybe you're like this. Maybe you don't like confrontation, but I will tell you that this right here is a word where we, we see in Peter's message. Peter's message realized that there was sin that was keeping them from seeing who Jesus truly was. You see, the Old Testament predicted that Jesus was the Messiah. Here's what he would look like. Here's what he would do. They kept looking at him to say, that, hey, he's gonna free us from Roman persecution. He's gonna free us from political bondage. The Messiah came to free them from slavery to sin. And he comes up and he says, I want to confront the sin that's in their lives. And take a look at verses 22 to 23. It says this, verse 22 says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst and you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up by according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed him by the hands of lawless men. Verse 36 says this, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. He is under the impression and he knows firsthand that sin clouds our relationship with a holy God and a holy God cannot stand or operate in us and through us if we are not going to deal with the sin that's in our life. And Peter is sitting here talking to a group of people that probably even saw and witnessed Jesus going to the cross. And from, from the Jewish people, God's chosen people, he says, hey, you know what? You missed who it was. I, I want to confront your sin. You had an opportunity to hear about this Messiah, and you didn't speak up. You didn't stand up. You didn't confront. You didn't, you, you, didn't, you didn't say anything. And so Peter is coming to them and he's confronting this sin that's in their life. And I, I gotta tell you something. We at Northwest Community Church, we recognize that there are sins in our lives that prevent us from being the church that we can be and should be. There are sins in your life that prevents you from being and experiencing the marriage that God wants you to have. And I'm here to tell you right now that porn is not a way to have the marriage that you wanna have. Gossip Lying, cheating, and stealing, those are things that get in the way of our relationship with the holy God of creation. And Peter is absolutely adamant to confront the sin in the lives of these Jewish folks. And we as a church at Northwest Community Church, we take the gospel seriously and we take sin seriously. And we should all take it seriously within our own lives. Apathy is a way to live, but it is not the way that the follower should live. Apathy, eh, don't care, whatever. God will do what God will do. I pray that you've not drifted into that apathetic life. We're teaching our new members class right now and we talk about being all in. We want you to be all in. And I read a study this week that all in to a lot of people today involves three church events. Forget Sundays. 
All in involves three church events. I brought food for White Oak, I went to church, and I went to uh, one life group. And a lot of people are saying that means that I'm all in. And we want to challenge that, hey, if we're going to be a community that invades that community that's out there, then listen, we have to be boldly confronting each other in a loving and positive way that allows us to be the men and women and, and students and kids that, listen, live in the grace of God by the Spirit of God, and we are able to be in a safe circle to call each other out because the relationship with Jesus is at stake. Our walk with Jesus is at stake. It's a better way to say it. Confidence. Number three, the third word that I want you to see is confidence. So if you remember what I was saying again a couple of weeks ago is that they were confident in that who Jesus was because the Old Testament matched up to who the Messiah was. And so here is Peter. He's confidently coming in and using Old Testament references. He uses David and he uses, um, he uses Joel. He uses the Psalms to prove, hey, this is who he says he is. And it's fantastic. I want you to look at verse 17, the very first verse that he quotes uh, the prophet Joel and it says in the last days it shall it shall be God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and Peter is sitting there he's reading that he's quoting that and he's seeing that and it's unbelievable for him to sit there and go he's going to pour out his spirit on all flesh this is what it means he's going to pour out his spirit that's that that it means God is in us to do something transformational to our community Look at verses 22 to 24. I want you to completely, I want you to concentrate on 24 when I get there. I'm gonna read 22 to 24, and here's what it says. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Verse 24 is beautiful. God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Incredibly, incredibly powerful for the confidence that, that Peter has in his message to sit there and say, hey, listen, death, you're familiar with death. Your family members have died. But I'm telling you right now that Jesus was he, was, he was crucified, he was buried, and praise God, he rose again from the dead. The resurrection proves everything about who he is, that he truly is the Messiah. The resurrection separates him from anybody else that makes a claim that they are the Messiah. And the resurrection right there is true, and Peter is preaching that in his message. He even goes further in verse 29. Gosh, I love this. Here's the word that came this word is in verse 29. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. So here, David is a man after God's own heart. David died. David was buried. And hey, guess what? Right over there, he's still there. So yes, he was good. And yes, he was great. But he's still over there. Because why? Jesus is a better David and he looks at Moses and he says, hey, Moses was great and he led the people out of the promised land. But I'm gonna tell you something. The slavery is not Egyptian bondage or slavery. The slavery is sin. And Jesus is a better Moses. And he's connecting all these dots right here. He uses David to show them with confidence who Jesus really is. It is a message. He wants all of Israel to know, therefore, that's, that for certain that God made him both Lord and Christ. But confidence got ruined when I went to college, I went to Gardner-Webb University and I loved that place. I absolutely loved going to Gardner-Webb. Uh, my, my wife went there, we met there. 
my brother-in-law went there, my sister went there, but I was a kid from South Windsor, Connecticut, and moving to Boiling Springs, North Carolina. That was culture shock, to say the least. My phrase of the day was, dude, that's wicked cool, because that's the way we talk in New England. You're not laughing. You're looking at me like, what? I mean, seriously, they thought maybe I was like a witch or a Wiccan or something like that or whatever. Here's the deal. You basically, that was sort of language. So you go down to Gardner-Webb and they're like, hey, Matt, Matt, do you think the tennis courts have lots? And I said, of course they've got parking lots. He said, no, not lots, lots. I'm going, that's an interesting way to say that in the South. There's radical culture shock. And I had to take an intro to Old Testament class. And I took an intro to Old Testament class by this man who was a missionary in Africa. And we got into the class and I'm going, man, he's confusing me. He's really confusing me. And so one day he looks up and he goes like this. He says, I just want you to know that the Old Testament is really, it is a, it's a satire. It's not what God did. It's what God could do. It's a bunch of stories that talk about what God could have done. And I am sitting here going, you are taking away the confidence I have in who Jesus is. And I want to praise God for several people, Shane Martin being one of them, who brought me aside and said, let's study the Bible together. Went to a Bible study with a bunch of people and looked at the text and found out that these aren't just stories. These are actual things that took place that Jesus did actually swallow a man with a whale and spit him out three days later to get his attention. Those things really did happen. My confidence, my confidence was was messed up. Now I got a confession to make. That was Old Testament, intro to Old Testament. And I'm one of your pastors and I'm preaching right now and I failed that class. Please forgive me. (laughs) I failed it. I retook the class with Dr. Carson from Gardner-Webb University. He was an African-American man with, with, with uh, he was blind and he had his Bible right here and he would rock back and forth and I have never heard anything like that in my entire life. I've never heard the Old Testament taught like that in my entire life. God used his confidence to strengthen my confidence in who Jesus said he was from the very beginning, not just in the New Testament. The grave is empty, sin is defeated, sin is defeated, and Satan is morally wounded. So let's go with confidence, like Peter, in knowing who he is. Number four, the last word that I have for you is this, urgency. The word urgency, if you take a look at Verse 38, it's urgent. Peter comes to him. They're cut to the heart. What do I need to do to be saved? What do I need to do? Tell me something. Tell me, tell me, tell me. What do I need to do? Verse 38, he says it right here. He says, what shall we do? That's what he says in verse 37. Verse 38, and Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, that you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let me just back up for just a minute right there, that it says repent for. It's actually, the Greek word is E-I-S. It's S. The word is better translated because of or therefore. So if I read it that way, it says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of the Lord Jesus because of the forgiveness of sins. Not for. We go to the thief on the cross. He was not baptized. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. We can't get away from the original meaning of that language of what he's trying to say. So what does he say to you? I want you to repent. Repent means to change your mind. I want you to change your mind about who this Messiah is. I want you to change it. I want you to turn away from that. But not only that, I want you to turn away from this sinful mindset, but I want you to turn to a savior who says, if you call on his name, you will be saved. And when you do that, what happens? He deposits the Holy Spirit into your life so that you can be who God's created you to be. 
And you can allow the second chance to be better than the last chance and not a wasted chance, like Peter. Look at verse 39. 39 says this, for the promise is to you, is for you and your children and all who are far off. So listen, he's looking at us and saying, hey, there's urgency in your family. I wanna let you know something. This promise that was given to you is for your kids. It's for your kids, it's for your family. He goes on and he says, everyone for whom the Lord God calls to himself. Verse 40 is beautiful. And with many other words, meaning he kept talking to them, he kept explaining to them, he kept encouraging them, he kept challenging them. He said more than what's down here, but we have what's most important. And he says this, and with many other words, he bore witness and he continued to exhort them. And he said, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Save yourselves from this crooked generation. I want you to turn from your sins. I want you to turn to God. And I want you to publicly show it by getting baptized. Demonstrate. There was great urgency, great urgency in Peter's message. And it's beautiful because once he experienced that grace and he had an opportunity to stand up to speak, he spoke that with confrontation of sin. He spoke that with confidence and he spoke that with urgency. Question for you. We have... We sing the same song here more than one time, right? Good, so I'm gonna tell you a story that I've already told you and you're gonna say, that's okay, Matt, right? Yeah, there we go, thank you. So some of you have heard this before, but I think it really sets the stage for what we're trying to communicate as we get ready to close here in a minute. In 1829, two men named George Wilson and James Porter robbed a United States mail carrier. Both were subsequently captured and tried in a court of law in May of 1830. Both men were found guilty of six charges including robbery of the mail and putting the life of the driver in jeopardy. Both Wilson and Porter received sentences, execution by hanging to be carried out on July 2nd. Porter was executed on schedule. However, Wilson was not because he had influential friends who pleaded for mercy from President Andrew Jackson and a formal pardon was issued on his behalf, on behalf of George Wilson, dropping all charges and charging Wilson to go to jail for 20 years. He would only serve the prison term, and that's what was burned. But an official report stated that Wilson, George Wilson himself, he chose to waive and decline the advantage of the protection which might be supposed to arise from the pardon. So he rejected the pardon. And there were a lot of people that were urgently trying to get to change his mind. They were trying to change his mind. Wilson also stated that he had nothing to say. I don't want to say anything in, in any manner to avail himself. I'm not going to avoid the sentence. I'm going to ask that the sentence be carried out. I am not going to challenge it at all. And the Supreme Court determined that the court cannot give the prisoner the benefit of the pardon unless he claims the benefit of it. It is a grant to him. It is his property, and he may accept it or not as he pleases. Chief Justice John Marshall wrote, a pardon is an act of grace, proceeding from the power entrusted with the execution of the laws, but delivery is not completed without acceptance. It may be rejected by the person to whom it is tendered, and we have no power in the court to force him to take it. So a couple of months after July 2nd, the original sentence, George Wilson was hung, and the pardon for him was laying on the courtroom table. And Peter is standing up in the midst of these people and he's begging them and urgently saying, save yourselves, accept the pardon. Don't let it sit on the table. 
don't let it sit on the table. I realized something really important around three in the morning, the day after the 2000 election. About three in the morning, I woke up and I realized, hey, these guys who delivered these voting booths, they gotta come back and get them. Went into the office that day and man, I got me a plan together of everything I was gonna say and everything I was gonna tell them. And I had two Bibles on the table. And I told the lady that was out in the front, her name's Betty Coleman, I said, Betty, please, wherever I am, wherever they are, please call me when they come. I wanna go down there and get the voting booths and the chads that were all over the floor. Did you get that joke? Yeah. Okay. So they came. And they was not two, but they was three. And they brought the third guy with them. And we went downstairs, we went into the elevator, went downstairs. I was anxious, because I was like getting ready to give it to them. <laughs> and I uh, went downstairs, we got them, we moved them all up, and I said, okay, guys, all things are loaded. I need two minutes of your time. I need two minutes to explain to you what I classify the greatest message in all of the world. And first, I want to ask you to forgive me because you came the other day. You talked about our church, and I didn't really have a chance to tell you about this Jesus who was so real to me. And I'd like to take the opportunity to ask you a very important question. Have you ever been told that Jesus Christ has a purpose for your life and that he loves you? They just sat there and looked at me with blank stares in their eyes. and didn't say anything. I said, let me ask you, let me, let me ask you this. What is two plus two? And they went four. And I said, are you sure? They paused for a minute. They, they go, is this a trick question? I said, no, it's not a trick question. They said, it's, it's four. And I said, you're 100% right. And if you're in China and India and Zimbabwe, it's still two plus two is four. And there was a God in heaven who sent to us his one and only son, his one and only begotten son, so that we might repent and believe and be saved and that we would have confidence, just as two plus two is four, that if we were to die, we would see him in heaven. I said, let me ask you this. Have you ever been told that you were a sinner? I said, yeah, I'm a sinner. You, I, you, I don't even have time to list them, pastor. <laughs> I'm saying so there's a, there's a walkway into Apex Baptist Church and it's this asphalt area and the box truck is under this little canopy area here like this. And I said, well, let me ask you a question. Is there any reason why right now you would not like to ask Jesus to set you free from sin and repent and believe in his name? And in unison, all of them said, no, there's no reason. What do we need to do? What do we need to do? And I said, well, the Bible says that at the end of the day, we're gonna confess Jesus. It says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. You confess him as Lord or you confess him as judge. And I'm here asking you today to repent of your sins, place your faith in him and confess him as your savior. And he said, what do we need to do? I said, let's get on our knees. We got on our knees. <laughs> Me and three other guys. And we sat there like this. And I said, what do you wanna say to him? And in unison, they prayed and said, Lord Jesus, I repent of my sins and I place my faith in you. And the Bible says, you will be saved. A year passed. It's another election, but it's not quite big like the first one. This guy came up to me and he said, he said, hey, you remember me? I said, yeah, I remember you. He said, that day, I was the third guy that came. Those other two guys, they were here to drop them off, but I came to pick them up. He said, um, my life at that time was a disaster. Wife and I were getting ready to get divorced. Things needed to change. 
And I need you to tell you something. That's where it changed, right there. That's where it changed. He said, man, I want you to know I'm getting ready to be a deacon in my church. Praise God for that. When I was thinking about sharing that story with you this morning, God confronted the sin in my life. And here's what it is. That story was in 2000. And I don't know if you know this or not, but it's 2017. And this message for me was a great wake-up call to be urgent, to plead with people, to save yourself from this, genera- from this generation. Repent and believe, and do not leave that pardon on the table. If you're here today, I ask you and I beg you to evaluate where you stand with Jesus. I'm going to be in the front after the service. Let's talk about the pardon that is given to you. Don't be like George Wilson. Don't be like George Wilson. For the rest of us, let's be. Let's celebrate the grace that we have. Let's confront sin and allow God to confront sin in our lives. Let's preach and speak with confidence that Jesus is the Messiah. And let's do so with great urgency. And then what happens? The Bible says 3,000 people came to faith in Jesus that day. And we all said, amen to that. Let's pray. God, we love you. And we are grateful for this time. Help us, Lord Jesus, to be intentional. Help us not to talk about stories that happened a long time ago, but that happened present. We thank you for the grace that you give us and for the but Peters of the Bible where it just says, but Peter stood up and we are grateful that we can see that because he was given another chance. Thank you for the opportunity that we have for people in our lives to confront us of sin and pray that we would be open to that and I pray that we would have confidence as we speak and that we would do so with great urgency. Lord, as we sing to you and declare that you are stronger, may we not only mean that with our words and our, our, our singing, but Lord, may we really mean it to our heart that you definitely are stronger because we love you and we thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.